Dotnet Rocks, episode 1077, with guest Ben Hall, recorded Thursday, December 4th, 2014. Hey, guess what? It's time for Dotnet Rocks again. It's Carl Franklin. Richard Campbell. We're here in the fishbowl in D.C., London. Doing a bunch of shows. It's almost Christmas. Yeah. We're having fun. We've had a great time. Yeah. Don Syme is just like hanging out. Yeah, isn't that cool? It's such a smart guy. The father of F Sharp is sitting over there, hanging with a couple other F Sharp folks, just chatting away. It's really amazing to get all this, uh, all these brains in one place. Yeah. And they're just such good people. Hey, really fun to hang around with. And then there's Ben Hall. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We'll be talking to Ben in just a minute. But first, I have something that you're People are probably going to be angry that I didn't show them this before. Uh-oh. Uh, it was too late for Christmas, but go ahead and roll the music. All right. What do you got, buddy? Tinyurl.com slash virtual pong. Virtual pong. Oh, so, you no. know, pong is near and dear to anyone over 40. Yeah. It's uh, Radio Shack's first, to, or Atari, I guess it was. Yeah, it was yeah. Atari. That was the yeah. original machine. The original machine. Uh, so now you can play pong without pong, without a ball. And but you have a wand, and you can play it uh, on the ceiling, basically virtual okay. pong. So all right, so let me read from the uh, website. Uh, the virtual pong is really cool. It, it, it removes the classic ping pong ball and replaces it with a ball of light. And you and your opponent have an electronic racket with which you smack the ball back and forth. Instead of being on the table, it trails the walls and ceiling, and uh, takes some batteries and. Basically, it's pong that you play with a with a racket, but without you know any kind of ball. That's cool. It's kind of fun, and I th- I thought it would be great to play with with kids or or whatever. It doesn't take a whole lot of setup. Yeah, it sounds pretty simple. It's all a question of how well you can see it, and you know. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those things where you'll you'll find out how well it works. What is it? Sixty dollars? Yeah, something like that. Sixty bucks. You can't argue for the price. So, you know, if you find yourself uh, wanting to take your Christmas presents back to the store because they weren't cool enough, you might want to spring for one. Go get yourself some virtual pong. Virtual pong. Richard, who's talking to us? Grabbed a comment off of show 896. I dipped back a bit. This was the one we did with about automating deployment. Where we talked to Papamoulis and Cumeril, and wow. Joe and Alex, if you recall, a yeah. while ago. And Thomas Jansen said, hey, this was a great show. There's one thing mentioned at the start of the show by Richard, I think, that I really agree with, and I don't think it's enough attention in the developer and IT consulting industry, and that thing is value. This is something value. I've seen in basically every project I've been in, and not many people trying to do something about it. All we measure is are we on budget, on time, and story points, not are we delivering value. Mm-hmm. We have been adopting Agile for a long time, and we are getting decent at it, if you ask me. Doing Agile still doesn't mean you're actually doing the right thing. Agile focuses on being productive, but we need to be more effective. We measure story points, and now our velocity a lot of, he- of the time. But that doesn't mean we're actually heading in the right direction. We don't measure the value of what we're trying to improve. In short, I'm saying that it is story points that are the false metrics. It can say when something's wrong, but not when something's right. We could be heading in a totally wrong direction, delivering loads of story points. So everything could be looking fine by measuring story points, but not by the actual impact. Yeah. Right. Right. Totally with you, Thomas. Absolutely. Great point. Thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NETrocks.com or with any of our mobile apps because we've got them for Windows 8, Windows Phone 7 and 8, iOS and Android. Yeah, that's right. And that brings us to our guest, Ben Hall. Ben is a startup founder, a polyglot programmer, developing using a combination of Node.js, JavaScript, Ruby, iOS, and C Sharp. Passionate about exploring, sharing, and educating others in new and emerging technologies and development practices. Ben is frequently found tweeting at Ben underscore Hall and drinking tea while trying to look busy. <laughs> he responds to email via blog at benhall.me.uk. Welcome, Ben. Hello. Shall I say welcome back? Thank you. Yeah, it's been great to have a you back, few man. years, hasn't it? It has indeed, yeah. 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 Try to remember when that last show was, probably a while ago. Ooh, 2010, 2011? Yeah. Just after I finished um, the testing ASP.NET book. 
All right. Anyways, just discussing the topics and that. Wow. A lot's changed in the world since then. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. You, yeah, you've been through a few startups and other businesses. I've tried different things, played with different technologies, different stacks. Yeah. Still, obviously, .NET is a, a foundation, a core part of that. Yeah. Um, but gone off and explored other verticals, other areas. Yeah, well, you mentioned Node as well, which is not really a Microsoft technology, but certainly it's getting some traction in the space. Yeah, definitely. It definitely didn't start out at a Microsoft platform, but with Azure and Microsoft being all open and embracing other technologies, it's definitely part of the kind of like core stack now. Are we just saying it's like 25% of the VMs running on Azure now are Linux? Wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. um, Yeah. It's very popular. And when you've got things like Node.js and the tooling around it and support and good documentation, then you've got... You wonder why not. So I got to tell you, I didn't know anything about Docker before you were scheduled. And then I went and looked at it. And wow, it's pretty cool. Um, Virtualization without a VM. Yeah, completely. Application virtualization. Yeah. And it's an only only a Linux thing, right? But I guess you can use Mono if you want to use C Sharp and .NET. Yeah. So at the start of the year, like Docker was around. Docker has been around in various different forms. And it was called a company called .Cloud, which was like a platform as a service. Mm -hmm. Very similar to Heroku. And they span it out and their core technology and that became Docker. And so it's quite stable, been around, very mature, but it wasn't really on anyone's radar at the mm. start of the year. And now we've come to the end of 2014 and mm. it's the hottest topic. It's what everyone's talking about, where all the action is, where all the e- ecosystem's moving to. Yeah. And it's very cool. So in a nutshell, um, this is it. It's a application virtualization, sort of. Uh, I hear the analogy to, uh, um, container. Ship containers. Yeah, completely. So a container in the Linux sense is it's kind of like a section of the kernel, a section of the operating system, which is shielded. It's sandboxed. It's isolated from everything else. Like right? a process. Very similar, yeah. But you've got, um, you've got more control than just a process. So you can package up multiple things into this container for so all of your dependencies. So if we take um, .NET space, it would be all of your NuGet packages, your source code, your binaries, mm-hmm. all combined into this package its container and then that would run in its own space in the so CPU. it's everything but the operating system it runs on top of the operating system so okay. it doesn't need its own it uses the foundation and then it can take advantage of the memory it can take advantage of the cpu the io all that native kind of as it would if it's running at part of the core operating system right because it is part of the core so operating maybe system. it's sort of like a app domain or a jvm virtual machine it's more along those lines closer but to the os yeah it's completely and you've got more control because you've got you can package up everything and put everything in what you need into this container mm-hmm. it's not just this layer it's everything um okay. and so where you've got the jvm like that's just a foundation that's a platform and things can run on top of it mm-hmm. and interrupt with it mm-hmm. but you still need your application you still need it installed you still got need it. it configured i see with docker that's all configured for you so you have these things called Docker files, and this is a step-by-step process, a step-by-step file, which explains how to configure your application and how to configure your container. So if you need things like the JVM, then it will define as a foundation, as a prerequisite, I need the JVM running. Mm, right. And then it will say, oh, I also need Elasticsearch installed. Right. And so it'll explain how to go off and how to install and how to configure Elasticsearch. Mm. And then it will say, okay, for certain directories... I'd like them mounted in a different place. And so I'll explain that. And I'll explain how that's all configured. And then at the end of it, I'll say, oh, to run Elasticsearch or MySQL or Mono, this is command which you'll use. And wow. so it's all defined. It's all declarative. It's all in a very readable file. That's what you mean by more control. A process is reliant on the underlying operating system for its configuration, for all, o- all those other things. Everything is contained inside of a Docker file. Completely. And so from the outside, from the kind of like the consumer of the container, you simply, in Docker case, go Docker run the name of the container, and it brings everything up. Mm. It's all nicely configured. It's all nicely packaged. Mm. It's all kind of conforming to best practices because mm. it's been configured by someone who knows how to properly configure it. And so you just go, oh, look, I've now got this beautiful running service, all nicely isolated. I don't have to worry about conflicts. don't have to worry about needing other things installed. I don't yeah. need to worry about it being conflicting with other things I have on my system. Yeah. It doesn't care. It just acts like a standalone machine. But 
you don't have to have that overhead of running a virtual machine, sure, running on a different box. It's just part of the core operating system. So, so would I have a separate Docker file for each server in this application, or is it one Docker file for the whole app? It's for every component of your application. Okay. Um, so if you take an example of what I've got running, so it's going to be a Node.js application. So I have a Docker file which defines, right, I need Node.js yeah, mm-hmm. installed, and I need to go npm install, and then I've got my yeah. nodes. All the support dependencies for, to exactly. make node run. And so I've got that in a Docker file. Right. I then have a separate file for defining Elasticsearch. Right. And that will be a separate container, isolated, yeah. standalone. And then I'll have a separate one for Nginx to run my proxying and my load balancing. Right. And then I'll have a separate file and a separate container, which defines how that runs. And these might be deploy- deployed on separate machines or up in the cloud? Yeah, so you could, there's different ways that you can run it. Um, personally, I've just got a virtual machine running on digital ocean, right. um, just because that's what mm-hmm. I prefer. That's, that's where you like to work. Choice. Um, but at work, we've got it running on Amazon. Um, Azure has come out and announced their support um, using something called Kubernetes. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a project from Google. So again, like it's brave new world for Microsoft. Uh, yeah, because Microsoft made announcements around Docker, they they want Microsoft stuff to run with Docker as well. Yeah, completely. And so the support on Azure is like the first step along that path. Okay. Um, and so you, Docker, as long as it's got a host, is supported by any Linux distribution at the moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So long as that running, you can run Docker. Right. So this is a great way that you can run um, with with the Mono support. Run your ASP.NET kind of uh, services or SignalR services or or Web API or or Node.js or whatever you want on on a say Amazon Linux box or something like that. Yeah, completely. That you wouldn't never necessarily have access to otherwise. Yeah, so um, what I'm going to show in my talk at NDC is I basically use um, Mono or I also demonstrate ASP.NET vNext mm-hmm. because obviously that's with K, they're embracing cross-platform, they're yep. embracing it being able to run on Linux and other distributions. Right. Yeah. And so I demonstrate how you can have that as a container, how you can work with it locally on your development machine. And because they, these containers are very defined and they're very portable and reusable, you can take the same container and just put it into the cloud as it is. Right. So you know that if it's working locally, because of the how containers work and everything's packaged into this isolated aspect, mm-hmm. you know that it's going to run exactly the same on any cloud service. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to worry too much about conflicts, reinstalling, reconfiguring. But you're still owning the VM in the end yourself, right? Like, you do, but the actual configuration you need is very, it's much reduced. Well, and you, um, and you created a template, so it's, you know, you just create them on demand. Like, yeah. I like this attitude that virtual machines are more cattle than pet. You know, mm-hmm. you don't you don't really give them names because you're not going to keep them around that long. You knock yeah. them off when it's time for a new version, <laughs> time for a stake. Yeah, <laughs> but it, but I think the, the part of the challenge there that is when I'm owning at that level, it's a more expensive like updating and so forth. It's a more expensive proposition for me. Say I want to use like you were talking about using Nginx for your load balancing, but if I want to use CloudFront, right, which is much more a platform as a service play where I don't own any of the underpinnings, I'm just giving it a set of instructions of how I wanted to do load balancing. Can yes. I include that as part of a Docker definition? Um, I wouldn't imagine that you would do it as part of the Docker definition, right. but your underlying whatever it's pointing to would be a Docker container. And so one of the advantages is that you can mix and pick and match and choose different aspects of your stack right. based on what you personally like. When I, and so, part of the reasons I ask this is just to get a sense of, is Docker this overall umbrella for everything I want to know about a given application? the back-end servers and all of the different apps that might be involved in the deployment, or is it more focused on individual services? I guess it can it can be flexible enough to meet your requirements. So, right. for example, if you just have a service, let's say MySQL, yep. and you don't really want to go through the hassle of installing it, downloading it, configuring it yourself, yeah. you could mm-hmm. just run it as a Docker container. Yes. And the rest of your stack wouldn't need to know that it's a document. Well, container. my mentality is always every time I have a Word document, I've failed, right? Like the Word document says, yeah. here's where you download MySQL and you want to have this version of the OS, make sure these patches are replaced, then install it like this, do these configurations like That's a fail. I want that document to be code. It executes. So you know it's the truth because it's what you run to actually set up your machine. And to me, that seems like something Docker does really well. Yeah. Completely. Mm-hmm. And that's the beauty of Docker, because it's all declarative, it's all in code, it's all scripted, it's all repeatable. 
And so you don't have to have these Word documents. You don't have to manually install yes. it and wait for everything to download because someone else has done that for yeah. you. And so that's where for things like MySQL, I, I've always found it difficult just to like remember how to do it yep. every single time. It's, I don't do it every day, so I always have to look it up. Yeah. With Docker, I just go, Docker, pull MySQL, and then it runs on my system. And now, it, there are templates out there for you to use for setting up MySQL, and you don't have to make them? No, there's a huge ecosystem. And right. so there's a Docker registry, um, and it's very similar to, I'd imagine, like the Azure Marketplace, mm-hmm. where you can go and you can find all of these platforms, all of these pre-created images, right. what someone else has gone ahead and... For you. And it's not actually the licensed software, it's just the script on how to get the software to get it set up. It's the pre-built image, right. it's the pre-packaged image. Well, they are fully configured. Yeah. You might um, need, depending on how the licensing works. It's an, I live in the open source world. Yeah, so, so. It's just, that's what <laughs> the issue. Like, I'm thinking Microsoft's really going to implement this. It's like, hey, you're going to make a Windows Server instance as part of this? How do I deal with the, the, the licensing for that? Yeah, so if we come on to the where Microsoft are heading with this, um, you wouldn't have a Windows image. Right. You would have a platform that says, I require Windows. Yep. And then it would be layers and build upon that foundation. Oh, okay. Because that would be your host operating system. And then whatever you add on top would just be the enhancements, the steps which you need to get to, a, to where you need. So the actual configuration you want. Exactly. But you would have the foundation and the base of Windows already pre-installed or pre-existed um, and winning as part of your... And I'm trying to get so to a place where I want to do a complete app deploy, right? That I have some front-end servers and I have some application servers and I have a database and so forth. So it feels almost like I build a PowerShell script that would run Azure, that would make calls to Azure to set up VMs with the correct OS on it and then fire the Docker package in there to actually do all the configuration for it. Completely, yeah. Okay. All right, so I'm confused. I thought Docker was something that only ran in a Linux environment. So at the moment, this is true, um, but Microsoft has come out recently and announced that they're going to kind of uh, fully embrace the container okay. um, and isolation aspects that it brings, and oh. they're going to introduce support into Windows Server in the future. But at the end of 2014, our options are what? O- Owen, Katana? Yeah, so we've got mono support, which works out the box, and mm-hmm. there's some base images. So you just say, I need mono, and mm-hmm. then that gives you the foundation. And then you say, oh, to build my Mono application, I use XBuild and give it a solution. And then to run it, you do Mono and the executable, which mm. has been produced. So that's okay. all working nicely. Mono also has XSP, which is like the IIS AP.NET web server. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's running. And then we've got ASP.NET vNext or ASP.NET 5. Microsoft, again, have come out with a foundation image, a base image, with that all pre-configured and set up for you. So you just need to give it your source code and tell it how you want your application to run. Mm. And then it works out of the box. Nice. Okay. Yeah, that's nice indeed. All right. Well, I, just, I love the concept of having the complete contain describe, this is what my app server looks like, or my database server looks like, or my network balancing server looks like. Completely. Yeah. yeah. And that's beautiful. And it, it's, it means that knowledge can be shared easier within the team because it's all with the actual yeah. source code. And um, because of how it works, I for me, I just love the repeatability aspect. Yeah. As you mentioned mm-hmm. at the start, I work on lots of different projects. I'm a freelancer. I jump in and out at different points. I don't want to have to keep remembering everything. Yeah. I just love the fact that I can go, oh, look, I know I can rebuild this environment really quickly yeah. because I've already got all the commands pre-configured for me. Yeah. Well, and I can see operations setting this up for primary deployment. Then when a dev wants to work on it, you run a set of deploys for them to work from. So they're always working from the same configuration as production. Yeah, yeah. And it's closing that gap between development and production, right. which I think is... We've tried very hard to close this gap, but we still haven't quite got there. We still haven't quite made development to be exactly the same as yeah. production. It, there's still always differences. It's always a battle. Well, there was the Azure pack that's come out a while ago from Microsoft, yeah. which was basically tools to create self-service VMs. And you, and you create these templates for Hyper-V, and we were using that to set up our production VMs for an e-commerce site. And there was this realization it was very easy now for the dev to just go, could I have one of those, please? And then they're doing development against a VM configured exactly the same as a production VM. Yeah, which is a great step in towards the right direction. Yeah. Um, but with a virtual machine, you still have the whole overhead of running the virtual machine itself. Yeah. You still have Where to have... Where does it live? Yeah. What does that look like? And, sure. you know, we're building... These days, I've got developer workstations with... 16 and 30 gigs of RAM, so you can actually have three or four VMs running on it 
alongside the actual dev environment. Yeah, um, for me, like that's always been great. But the beauty of containers is that you don't need to give, you don't need that much memory. Right. You don't need pre-allocation of all of this gigabytes of RAM because a container only uses what it needs. Right, right. It doesn't have any additional overhead. So Docker is actually avoiding this effect of you may have four Docker packages for four different you know, services for this app. Uh, overall, you know, a front end, a back yep. end, those kinds of things. But you're not running a separate OS for each one. Exactly. It's, it's taking advantage of the actual platform, the host OS, right. and everything that that's got in its capabilities. And it's just running it as it would if it was running natively. Nice. So it's that, just sandboxed and isolated from everything else. Running. How can you compare this to, and there's so many ways we can compare it, but let's, I guess, start at the, at the platform, to an Azure website. Right. When I run an Azure website, it's running somewhere and it's probably sharing, it's sharing hardware with somebody. And I don't, I don't know what process space it's sharing. I don't know how isolated it is. I certainly know it's isolated though. And I can run all, all the things that I need to run inside that. What, what, do, what am I getting outside of that? Um, so Azure, if I'm just running ASP.NET. Yeah. yeah. So it's, I'll be perfectly honest, it's been a while since I've used Azure. Um, however, you still have that overhead, if I am correctly, of booting up the machine in the first place or initializing the virtual machine when you want to do a deployment. It's right. still, it's not instant. It's not an instant on experience, which is what you do have with containers. Because mm-hmm. you're not bringing up an entire virtual machine. Sure. It's, you say, run, and within 100 milliseconds, but it's Is that there. overhead yeah. really a problem in uh, Azure land? Have you found that to be the case, Richard? Well, I think we're completely abstracted from it when you talk about Azure websites. Like, mm-hmm. we don't see what the OS is. We're running, I, sure. and I don't think they have an OS per website, right. actually. I don't but know I kinda for like sure. But I kind of like it like that. Well, I mean, I, I I like just, it that when I you look at the way IIS 8.5 works, it's really good at multi-tenanting. So it's one OS, but there's multiple tenants mm-hmm. for each each website. Mm-hmm. I got to think that came from Azure websites, mm-hmm. which is it's very Docker-ish, but maybe not quite as coherent. Like I, I think it's finally penetrating my skull now that this is a lightweight VM technology. Sure, that you are creating this virtualized protected container. You're just not including a whole OS for it as well. You're calling into the pieces of the host OS as needed. Yeah, I think that's a fair. I think that's a fair comment. And obviously, with Azure and for websites, that's great. We've got the isolation, but our website isn't our entire stack. We've got other dependencies, we've got other components. Right. And especially as we're moving into more of the distributed, more of a microservice world, our website isn't the end game anymore. We've got yeah. API, we've got backend services, we've got queuing, we've got worker processes. All of this still needs its own isolation, its own deployment story, mm. its own development, testing, production environment. And, and is Docker encouraging us to build smaller instances that just do one thing? Would you tend to or spread the services things. across them separately, or would you combine them together? Uh, I think for so the way I run it is that one Docker container did one thing. One thing. And one thing only. It did right. what it needs to do. Mm-hmm. Um, if you start combining them, it starts getting messy and start losing right. that nice separation. Your container file becomes much more noisy, yeah, and it just becomes a lot more overhead. So you like that separation. And you're not talking like a container per method, but sort of a container per class. You're a container per application, so right. per website or per API or per work process to read off a queue. Right. So whatever you would deploy and build as a solution at the moment. You can think that would be a container going. And forward. do these Docker containers have state? Like, can I pause it? Can I restart it? Can I save the state in one container and load it in another container? I mean, is there any kind of thing for that? Uh, you can do that, and so a container, you can stop it. You can export it into a zip file or a tar file, and then you can take that into a different environment, a different machine, and bring it up, and it will run just as it was when okay. it left off. Um, generally, for things like actually, if you were running a database, you would store the files outside of the container because then you could have multiple. You wouldn't. It wouldn't be dependent on that container. So you right. could do upgrades. You could do security patches that you needed to mm. bring up new containers with that new version, but still point it back to the original files. And is there any kind of backplane communication How between you containers? You know, like um, so instead of just doing a sort of HTTP REST from container to container. HTTP calls to move pieces of data. Maybe I want to move big, big pieces of data, and do that on the back end, in in the quote. You know, I think of it in the data center, but you know, where where the uh, maybe we have a fiber backplane or something like that. So all Docker machines, all 
So all Docker containers running on the machine have an internal network. Mm -hmm. Right. And so they're all assigned their own IP addresses. Okay. And so if you wanted to transfer files between or communicate between them, you would just do it like you do with any other machine at the moment, mm -hmm. and you call that IP address. So you're defining a set of virtual network rules for a set of Dockers? Uh, for me, Docker did that for me. Right. Docker takes care of that all. All that it presumes that everything in a given set is going to see each, yeah. each other. Mm -hmm. uh, no, so everything's isolated. You have to say that it can see each other. All right, so you, how you do define you generally it. do that. The other way mm -hmm. is you have a service discovery platform, so um, XED or console. Mm -hmm. um, console is very cool. It's like a DNS service, yeah. and you a new container will come up. It will say to the DNS, going, I exist. This is where I live. Right. This is my IP address. If anyone wants to find me, here's my name. And then it would mm. use the same thing like DNS does. Like sure. a service would come along and go, oh, I need to find my Redis instance or my right. Memcache instance or my... And you need to uh, know what the name is? Or and is then it? you just do it with your host name. Okay. And it goes, which, uh, what container are you running on? It will give it back the IP address and then you would just use it like you would normally and right. if it was a normal machine. But so are like you referring it to specifically by name or by some kind of service abstraction name? Uh, service abstraction. So... Um, you wouldn't refer to it as machine names because we they're going to change. Exactly. Yeah. You don't care about machine names. They're, these are destructible objects. So, yeah, you don't when, it, so when I think of discovery, it's like that I'm yelling out saying, who's running Redis? And three names come back. Uh, so when I, the way I have it structured, I say, who's running Redis? And then it tells me the IP address for the cluster. Right. And then it's like, there you go. And it all also replicates and it all works as a cluster itself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I don't actually care which IP. No, you're using the virtual IP that represents all of them. Exactly. And okay. so I just go, I just want to talk to Redis and, or Memcache or Elasticsearch or my, my SQL. Mm -hmm. And then it will just give me the IP address for that service. And then I run with it. I just use that. Man. And, and, I, and I wanted to be, because those pieces may be developed by different people, maintained at a different rate, being updated at different times. So I, I like that it's abstracted from names per se. It's service based. Yeah, it's discovery. all service based. Okay. Um, and, and I think that's a better way to go. You don't want to be too dependent on machine names. Like, I remember back when, like, it was only a couple of years ago, but we still had web servers like Web 001 and Web 002. Yes. And then we'd know that, oh, I have this website running on this machine, and this is how I called things. And everything was very restricted and very yeah. tight. But virtualization helped us with that. But at the same time, the reason I was running three instances of the web service is so that I could lose a machine and still be up. So while I'm now abstracted from knowing about the hardware, I don't want those three VMs running on the same piece of hardware, so they all go out. So I don't care what hardware, I just want to be able to specify, these three instances need to be on different hardware. Yeah. You know um, what I mean? Completely. And so with containers, that's still an interesting story, how you get it across machines and across right. data centers. Um, this is where that whole def defining virtual network gets a little trickier. When do you get outside of the memory space of a given machine are now going across NICs yeah. and talking to each other. And so that's, um, I'd say that's emerging as okay. uh, best practices. Docker's been moving very, very quickly. And so a lot of things are still, with other community, it's still figuring out what are DC the best is really ways. is a dev tool, not so much a production tool? Uh, we've been running in production for the last six to nine months, and it's been great for us. Okay. Um, it's given us the flexibility But for the most need. part, your apps have been contained within a single machine. Even if they're multiple. Uh, in production, we have it over a cluster. Okay. Um, and so we've. Is it a symmetrical cluster? So each machine that's in the cluster runs the same config? Uh, so we have two clusters. Um, and we have each machine within those clusters have different services running based on what they need. Okay. Um, and different processes. So there's got to be a mechanism so that those different processes are able to talk across machine. Yeah. So the current popular one um, yesterday was announced um, a technology called Weave. Um, it's by the people who created RabbitMQ messaging oh, yeah. before. Mm -hmm. And they just announced a $5 million Series A funding mm -hmm. to bring container support to the enterprise. And so that, I think that's an indication that there's some significant weight being put behind this container technology. And they're coming out with a solution to help networking cross machines. Right. But, uh, it, I mean, that feels to me like it's still very new. So, you know, we talked about right off the bat, like Docker's been around for a while and yeah. under different guises. Yet, you know, the idea that we're having new announcements around enterprise class networking between these services, that's kind of a staple. You know? um, uh, so Docker's been running and it's been, 
It's been running many disking sizes. Cloud was a very successful platform as a service offering, and that support has kind of that built that was the knowledge, the learning expertise which went into Docker itself. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about networking, there are many different approaches and many different ways. We're just constantly coming up with new, better approaches. Right. We're constantly learning, we're constantly like there's very smart people working on this and they go, Oh, it's working, but we're not gonna stop there. Yeah. The better ways to well, we're getting into this deeper concepts of software defined networking where I want it yeah. as part of a config file and want it really intelligent. Like you're gonna be hearing from this service on port eighty and in and net and security negotiations on one thirty five. Don't listen to anything else, right? Like very granular, precise networking, which most people don't, you know, we just not thought about that. It's always been from cable here to cable there. Whatever goes across, let it go across. Yeah. Yeah. But if I, now that I'm virtualizing all this, I can be really precise and tight and efficient with it. And, you know, use and, and, you know, very abstracted from the actual hardware as to how that data moves between machines. Yeah, completely. Mm-hmm. And I think that would be, it's a very exciting time. And I, it's like, we're getting there. But we, I, and yeah. I get the sense, look, I just pulled up the Weave project off of GitHub and I'm like, okay, yeah, these guys are getting down into very granular networking elements for Docker. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so that's where it did sound like it's new, it's emerging, but it's not. It's just that we've got new approaches, we've yeah. got new ways, we've sure. got, because we've got all of this support and this foundation, such as containers, we can mm-hmm. now use them to our advantage. Right. We don't need to figure out, um, how to configure the networking layers and the networking support and how you to set up DNS servers sure. because they're now containers. Yep. And so Spin we just take that one. container and run with it. Right. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. You know what time it is now? Uh, I must be that happy time again. Yep. Time to spin up a couple million randomly misfiring synaptic containers and execute a DDoS attack on your sanity service container. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's nice. Otherwise known as Wednesday. Yeah, Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually time to give away a Sync Fusion Essential Studio to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, is your big data strategy causing you headaches? Well, ditch the complicated configuration and jargon and pump up your development with the only easy-to-use big data solution for Windows. The Sync Fusion big data platform installs quickly and is packed with samples to help you get up and running in 15 minutes or less. Check it out now at SyncFusion.com and start working with big data in under 15 minutes. And even if you aren't working with big data, you can take advantage of over 500 SyncFusion controls to help you build stunning applications. Or you can broaden your skill set with the free ebooks SyncFusion offers on over 40 topics. Download free trials and free ebooks today at SyncFusion.com. All right, buddy, who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Martin Hanks. Congratulations, Martin. Well, yeah. clap for you, sir. Martin won a Sync Fusion Essential Studio big pile of awesome from them. And if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .net Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. Every show, we like to give away sponsor stuff. And every December, we like to give away $5,000 worth of technology. Indeed. And we just did. Yep, James Myers. He yeah. hasn't quite figured out what he wants yet. He's but a very happy man. He's a pretty excited guy. And yeah. he was pretty sure we weren't Nigerian princes. I'm pretty sure. Until Although I asked you... him for that ninety nine ninety five <laughs> before we could process his prize. <laughs> and then there was silence. There was, yeah. uh... <laughs> An hour went by and he didn't respond. We're like, no, we're just kidding. <laughs> I know I'm funny. I'm really funny. <laughs> That's great. All right. Well, uh, anyway, we also like to ask our guests, uh, Ben, if you had $5,000 U.S. to spend on technology today, what would you buy? Uh, that's a very interesting question. Um, like, my default technology of choice is definitely an iPhone and a MacBook Air. Like, right. Mm-hmm. That's a stable, that's a foundation, which I think everyone... Uh, it's a beautiful combination. Mm. And so I'd definitely be looking at that. Then maybe an Octopus Rift mm-hmm. um, and looking at that. The New Oculus. Oculus, yes. Because yes. you want your apps to be, w- you want your games to be way more scary. Well, it's just interesting and it's new and it's different. It's, I'm intrigued to see where they take it. Um, and so there's nothing really else, much else jumping out at me at the moment. Yeah, so yeah. you know, and, and they, certainly it's not 5,000 bucks. Having played with them a couple of times, they figured out the formula to trigger the visceral physical responses for what, what your eyes see. So mm. I walk up to the edge of a cliff and you sort of get the hair on your back of your neck standing up like I don't want to fall. Mm. Even yeah. though I'm, you know, and I don't get that effect when I look at a regular screen. Exactly. Something about strapping it to my eyeballs. Have you seen 2 you. you have seen the 2.0 dev kit? I got one last yeah. month and I haven't played with it yet. Yeah. I just haven't had time. You know why? 
because I know I'll go into that void and, it, and never come out. Gone. Yeah. Bye bye. Finding time is difficult, and that is the challenge. Yeah, it's, it's blocking out the hours you know exactly. it's going to take. And so with 5,000, ideally it would be, I wouldn't, I'd do that, pay the rent, and I wouldn't work for a month. There you go. And, uh, and I'd actually be able to play I with all of this. 500 bucks on an Oculus Rift in a game, and 4,500 bucks on the fact that I'm not going to work for the exactly. next 30 days. I think that would be the ideal. <laughs> I saw this great video, and we talked about it a couple of times, of a guy creating his world with Oculus Rift. Right. And so he created a virtual screen on which what he typed showed up on the screen and every you know he basically mapped his screen into the, this virtual world so he saw the 3d object changing shape as he was altering the code but, it, cool. but yeah. it made me think of how cool a dev environment you could create with the oculus rift where you actually get to see things in real time that you wouldn't necessarily see right on a screen because you've got that z axis you can go forward and backwards yeah and you can sort of and then maneuver around the objects as you're creating them right you virtualize uh, the traffic on your websites as you're you spinning go. them up and could down. We, yeah, could we make Docker packages look as individual blobs and you can draw and connect them together and launch them all and, and then have a visualization of them running? Yeah, then we start getting to the hackers film mentality. Yeah. Or, where you fly through the servers and yeah, everything's blinking and everything's flashing and you see the network traffic. Yeah, that makes That you was William Gibson, right? The whole cyberspace exactly. thing yeah. way back when. Ben's, Does it, it actually going, make ha, sense? Ha, ha, ha. It almost makes sense now. <laughs> that would seem ridiculous not that long ago. When you talk about the way we instrument apps these days, the way we package and manipulate data and define networking, you could create a three-dimensional visualization of that. You could, and I'm sure mm. not before long someone probably will. Yeah, and, they, and would now it be meaningful? Will. Would now, it give you an advantage that you're more effective at configuring and operating your system? They'll do it ah. now that we've told them the idea. You're welcome. <laughs> I'll $5,000, please. Yeah, well, you know, I like the command line. Yeah. I'm happy with my command line for now. Yeah, yeah, but this sure. would still be typing in command line. You couldn't see the keyboard because you got that thing strapped no, to your face. No, you could if you virtualized it in front of you. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm then saying. Then you need the haptic feedback on your hands so you can yeah. actually type into the space. But I, I kind of like that, you know, it's very William Gibson-esque to be typing on a keyboard. And there's no more, you know, in, in that story, when you go you know, back to, to Neuromancer, they, he talked about keyboards with no letters on them. Because you can't see them anyway, right? <laughs> You've got the goggles on. So remember the data hand? Yeah. Did you ever see that? Yeah. The data hand was a keyboard. But that whole you... idea that you could type was yeah. something that you would not look at. You don't look uh, at it. Interesting. Right? Yeah. Well, and I don't look at a keyboard when I type no, anyway. No, but... no. Now you really couldn't. You can't <laughs> yeah. cheat. So the data one way to practice touch typing. Yeah. Just you really, really you have to. Yeah. For those who don't know, the data hand was this thing where you had five, uh, ten sockets for your fingers and in every direction you moved you hit another button and so it mapped the entire keyboard to all of these things that you could just you know left up down right with each finger and i got a, i got pretty good at it for a while it takes time to learn those things the problem with it was that the hands you couldn't separate them like it was on a board and they swiveled and stuff but you still had to keep your hands here i would have liked to have split them so I'd have one on each side of myself, so I could just have my hands on my lap or on my sides. But it was a great idea. It was really interesting. Yeah. Well, we seriously digress from our topic. But, uh, <laughs> not that, not that much. I mean, you just—we're talking about what really modern development environments look like now. What app models really look yeah. like now? Yeah. You know, the the idea of having all this stuff containerized and and repeatable and make as many instances as you want. You know, this. I just don't see any reason to upgrade anything anymore. You just set the new rules for the new instances look like you make the new instances and you destroy the old ones. Completely. And I think that's the, that's the way forward. Um, yeah. Just, the, just like the old overhead, thinking back just a few years ago, having to patch the servers and having to yeah. maintain all of this. Yeah. Which is just no longer as much of a concern. Well, yeah. and it, you know, in the VM world, in the Hyper-V VMware approach, we're still dragging an OS with us everywhere we go that does need to be patched and fed and so forth. And you might break that virtual machine with the upgrades to the OS. Docker's just leaving the OS out. It's uh, making it less of a concern. Yep. It's, so it's, the fact that I could just take a Docker package, run it on a different version of an OS, it should just work if the Docker extra abstraction is working correctly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so as long as you've got that foundation, then everything should be happy. That's you really it. And interesting. that should be the way we think about software. Yeah. Yep. I agree. Well, it just sort of begs the question: What's the next thing we could drive out of the package, like the JVM or the or right. the CLR? Right. 
I think they are important to be there because we don't want them as part of the core operating system. Like they're quite nice having their runtimes next to the application because they're part of that. Well, in your runtime, you're in the case of the CLR, it's always intimate with the app that you're running. But you know, it's not well. And we work really hard, apps. yeah, to not share CLRs anymore. Yeah. Right? To yeah. run your own version as part of your app. Yeah. Why do we not feel that way about the OS? Maybe we start to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Well, this whole thing is like you now. V, traditional VMs have kept the OS as part of the package, and Docker's pushing it out. Yes. And so Docker, you know, in that model, we're liking it. That model says that the specific version of the OS is not that important. Where the where the virtual machine is that important mm-hmm. if you want to keep it in the package. Like I'm just I'm just playing with where's the line? Are we going to change this line at some point? Uh, I think that's. I think there's more interesting potential angles. So definitely when you look at the Microsoft um, support and what they're announcing with right. it being part of the kernel, supposedly. Not entirely, I don't know technical details. Yeah, everything just, works perfectly when you haven't shipped it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Really, really, just reading the PR and looking at their pretty graphics, which yes. they've attached to it. But it sounds like it's going to be pretty low-level, pretty core change. Right. So what happens if they introduce that on a desktop? Yeah. And so we no longer start thinking of just web servers and web applications and databases. We think about actual desktop applications. Mm-hmm. Right. And so what happens if Visual Studio is no longer this monolithic, huge installation, which takes hours, it's just a container. Right. And so you just pull down the latest container. It's all configured. It's all running. It's all packaged up nicely. Yeah. And it just works. Well, we don't have to worry about conflicts between I'm Visual really Studio oh, version 1 and Visual Studio version 2. Because they're isolated and separated. I'm really interested to see where Microsoft takes this and if it changes uh, fundamentally how their virtual machines work in Azure. I mean, you know, what are they learning from this? Are they implementing it such that I mean, is a is a Docker container going to be a lot more lightweight, a lot faster than a than an Azure VM or a virtual uh, web server or this kind of thing? It would be interesting to see on. From my experience, um, I get much better performance by using an actual virtual machine running on DigitalOcean or EC2 mm-hmm. with Docker than running on a platform as a service mm-hmm. and having their abstractions and their routing and their support, which I just, it no longer adds as much value as it did a couple of years ago. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, and that's the thing, right? We were building these really muscular dev machines so that we could run multiple virtual machines yeah. on them to simulate a proper production environment. Docker's just lower that bar. You're still doing the containing, but they're a lot lighter weight. Yeah, completely. And then like, then we can all have pretty sexy looking laptops again. Right. Without needing yep. huge... We don't need to run use. a Delosaurus. Exactly. Delosaurus. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we, could, we can use the trimmer machines because the, the footprints are so much smaller. I guess, I mean, does the package actually specify the compute resources that it needs, like a, like a typical VM would? How many cores, how much memory, that kind of thing? Um, so what, the way the container support in Linux works is it's, it's just isolation. It's just sandbox environments. And so right. it will take advantage of whatever the machine's capabilities are. Right. Now, there are support that you can start restricting memory usage and through restricting CPU usage. Right. Mm-hmm. But at the moment, that's not part of Docker. Um, that's just taking advantage of the Linux OS. The way the Linux OS can constrain a given process. Yeah, exactly. And so okay. you're just using that underlying support. Docker's more okay. the management of bringing up these containers and getting them linked and communicating at the moment. Docker's evolving very quickly itself. And so in the future, we'll probably be seeing a lot more support and maybe that is something which they'll introduce. Do you see this still, like I'm thinking from an audience perspective, is this a leading edge technology or is this something that's now like, if you don't do this, you're missing out? Um, well, it's containers have been around for a very long time. Sure. So, in t- that regard, it's not leading edge. It's we've just got a new way to interact with right. it. Right. And so, that is what Docker is. It's just mm. a new way, it's a ni- much nicer way. I would, I've tried to use containers at the actual a root level, and mm. it's a nightmare. It's just way too difficult, way too complex. Right. And so, now we've got this nice, compl- uh, nice abstraction, mm-hmm. this nice API. Richard, uh, would you go so far as to say start running individual packages for each configuration you would do on a given instance of Visual Studio? Like, I've got three Visual Studio projects that I work on. They've each got very specific configurations. Just make them separate Docker packages. Yeah, completely. I mean, um, now you're heading down a path, and, I, and I've sort of flirted this for a while, of everything is virtualized in your OS now. Right. Every app you run runs in a in a more robust container than you think. Yes, and I think that's a, that is a great advantage when we can get there. 
Um, and just thinking back to like com days and DLL Hal and oh, yeah. all of these yeah. restrictions just are removed when we actually when we have that level of isolation. And you want to you want to take that configuration of that app and put it on another machine. And right now in Windows, it's embedded in the machine. You can't pick up all of the bits, yeah. lift it up, and put it somewhere else. So, but with a package technology, you could. And you, hopefully that's where... You talk about virtualization a lot on Run As Radio. Times, yeah. What's the state of Windows virtual application virtualization? Well, application virtualization is a very different creature from server virtualization. Sure. Right? Uh, and, and to be my personal opinion is that, uh, that Microsoft's position on AppV these days is messy. Okay. They've bought a few technologies. They've tried a few different things, but there's no, it's not like hype. Like Hyper V has been competing head to head with VMware for the past few years. And in my opinion, they've reached parity, right? That the stuff that people loved about VMware, they now get in Hyper V, except that it comes with the OS. So like that space is kind of ruined now because Microsoft's free product is good enough. Right? The reality is if you're running a pair of 2012 R2 servers, and you have a Hyper-V instance running in one of them, you can right-click on that and say, run it on that other server. Right. And it just does it. Yeah. You didn't set anything up. You didn't learn anything. It just, boop, boop, done. No downtime. Yeah. Free, right? And you paid for the server license. You got that. So you don't think... App-V is not there. So you don't think that uh, we're going to... Microsoft isn't going to learn anything about this from Windows. It's really going to come from Azure. From the implementation well, of containers certainly the server stuff has come from Azure. But what we're yeah. talking about for Docker, like this to me seems a way more coherent vision of what app virtualization really ought to be. It's, the vision isn't Docker. Like it's, multi, it's containers. It's yes. a vision of actually having containers. Yeah. Docker's just one implementation. Sure. Um, it, at the moment, it's the most popular. Mm-hmm. And so I think most of have actually looked at the approach, the container approach from Linux, and actually what's happening at the core, right. and said, actually, that's pretty smart. Yeah, it's lighter, it's faster, it's easy. You know, and there's one thing to app virtualize an app, there's another thing to app virtualize a desktop. Yes. And Microsoft's taken several stabs at that, none of which I think I've ever been impressed with. I think the sort of state of the art in desktop virtualization right now is VDI from VMware. But it's still right. hefty. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And personally, I think with containers, I think that's applications um, support with it for containers. And yes actually having apps for them is it will get there um, and it's also not an all-or-nothing proposition you know you go down the vdi path the uh, and the you know the, the virtualized desktop path that's everything the machine now has nothing you run the whole yeah. desktop in in this virtualized space with all the problems that entails this container approach you could have a bunch of bare bones installed apps and then you got a couple running in in docker yeah, completely. Yeah. And that's how I run it on my Mac. I've got a few command line tools, which I run inside a container. Right. Yeah. Because they are Linux, and they're not being built for OSX. Right. And so it's like, well, I'll just run it inside a Linux container then. And so they still look and that like that container is ultimately calling into the Apple OS. Uh, it's running on Apple. It's running in a virtual machine. It's okay. running in a Linux virtual machine. So there's a Linux virtual machine available to multiple Linux Docker instances. Am I crazy? I might be a little crazy. How do you mean? Well, you said you have a bunch of command line tools. Yeah. Are they all one Docker package? No, they're all their own Docker packages. Same so multiple with, Docker packages. Same as we do with applications, right. uh, servers. Um, just like, at the end of the day, MySQL is just an application. Right. right? It just exposes ports in a different way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so command line tools are identical, and they work in the same way. Right. Well, uh, and what OS are those command line tools actually running on when you invoke them? So I'm on, on OS X, and same with Windows. There's a tool called Boot Docker. Yep. And this will create a very small uh, virtual machine. It runs on top of VirtualBox, and then you use right. that to interact with the Docker daemon, uh, because at the moment we don't have support for Windows and right. other platforms. And so it's actually a lightweight Linux in it instance? Yeah, it's a very lightweight Linux instance. Okay. Um, and so that's how you can get around running it on different platforms and different machines at the moment is that you just have this very small... Yeah, you just layer. fire up a copy of Linux, essentially, yeah. to execute yeah. those things. So we've been very bullish on Docker here for the last almost hour. Are, where, are the, where are the gotchas? Where are the pain points? What are people going to get hung up on? Um... So there's definitely a learning curve, and there's definitely just a different way of thinking. Um, it's not quite as easy as just X copying your code onto a server and going, right. oh, look, it's there. Um, so that's probably where I personally had the most problems. Um, things that we kind of touched on briefly, cross-machine and cross-data center 
yeah. talking, communicating between containers is a different way of thinking again, sure. and there's different tools and different approaches which you need to learn to take advantage. But there's good documentation. There's people there to help. There's a huge ecosystem around this. Yeah. And so the answers are there, and they're very easy to find. You just need to be aware that you're going to be starting asking different questions than sure. what you were before. I, I think that's the problem. And like in the future, there's already different containers. So there's Rocket. I think it's called Rocket from CoreOS, um, which is a, another container implementation. And there's Spoon um, Windows, which again is a, another container. So yeah. if in the future Docker doesn't have all the advantages and doesn't have all the answers, there's potentially another container solution out there, mm -hmm. which will. Very cool. Is there anything we missed? I mean, I, I get the feeling that you and Richard could go on and talk about this for hours, but uh, uh, at what some point we got to wrap it up. Uh, I think we've covered probably the foundations and probably enough. Um, it's very, it's very exciting technology. Yeah. It's emerging, and if you're doing application deployments, Docker isn't. No, it's not an all-or-nothing game. If you've got a more complex bit of your system, yeah. then maybe consider just deploying that with Docker, but everything else can remain the same. Got it. And so, just um, for me, I started using it by looking at servers. Um, because mm -hmm. I could pick them up off the shelf and run with them instead of having to configure them myself. Sure. And so if you're using that in your stack at the moment, then maybe that's a good place to start looking and playing with this technology. Um, just and use an existing template and then modify exactly. it. Exactly. Just go yeah. into Docker Registry, Docker Hub, and see what's available and start playing and downloading and just experimenting. And then you'd boot to Docker. It's all in a virtual machine and it's all containerized. Right. So You're not going to mess anything up. Exactly. <laughs> Well, that sounds good, Ben. Thank you so much. Excellent. Thank you, guys. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a